Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, my name's Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's great to be back. I know uh, many have been traveling this week for Christmas, and we traveled, went down to Alabama for uh, a few days, uh, some few, two days with my family, three days with Rachel's family. Had a great time, and we're really glad to be back, and I'm excited to be here and worshiping uh, together with you this morning. We are nearing the end of our series in the book of Psalms. If you don't know, we've been looking at the Psalms for the past few months. We've titled this series, The Songs of the Heart. And uh, we have this morning and next week, and then January 11th, we will start a new series that will last throughout the spring. Uh, We're going to be looking at the book of Acts together. Uh, God's mission to the world, praying that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. I'm excited about getting into the book of Acts uh, for where we are in the life of our church and where I think God is leading us. Uh, I think Acts is going to come at a very... A great time and a particularly good time for us as a church. But this morning, we are in Psalm 131, and so I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word. It's a short psalm, three verses. This is God's Word to us this morning. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah 40 tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask now as we come to you asking for you to speak, uh, that we could come bringing, Lord, the truths of our own heart. Many this morning uh, are feeling all kinds of things. We come with sadness, we come with loss, we come with hope, we come with joy, we come with baggage, we come with a lot of unrest. Uh, God, uh, our outer lives often look hectic and crazy, but Lord, if we were to all see the inner life, our hearts, and really how much at unrest our hearts are, Lord, we uh, would all be encouraged because we would see one another uh, the same as we are. So, Lord, I pray this morning uh, that you would give us rest deep within, contentment deep within, uh, that you would reveal yourself as the way that that happens. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, in 2007, the movie Rain Over Me uh, came out, was released. I don't know if you've seen that movie, Adam Sandler, Don Cheadle. Uh, The movie's about Charlie, Adam Sandler, uh, who has lost his wife, lost his children, his daughters, and he lost his dog all in one car accident. And, And so Charlie's been left all alone, and he is extremely sad, and he's deeply depressed. The pain, the hurt, the loneliness, it's just too much for Charlie. And so he has retreated into himself and he has pulled away from all relationships. And the way that Charlie deals with his sorrow and with the pain and with his loneliness and sadness, with this inner chaos of his own soul, is that Charlie immediately throws on his headphones and he listens to the song, Rain Over Me. He throws his headphones on as a way to drown out the inner noise of his soul, to drown out the noise and voice of his heart. That's how Charlie escapes. Now this whole series in the Psalms, but in particular Psalm 131, is a way in which God has been leading and is leading us this morning 
individually and as a church into emotional, healthy Christianity. And I'm not naive enough to believe that this sermon series now is going to be the silver bullet and all of us are going to live emotionally healthy lives as Christians uh, every day of our life. We will continue to need one another. We will continue to need to encourage one another into vulnerable, uh, open confession and ultimately to trust in the Lord. And I also know that all of us here this morning have differing ways that we deal with the inner voices as they well up within our heart. Uh, perhaps uh, this past week you were confronted with some of those voices. If you were away from your family uh, or you were with your family, sometimes our families can cause the, the pain and the sorrow and the hurt uh, to well up more than any other place. Charlie put on his headphones as a way of escaping, as a way of drowning the voice of his heart. How do you escape? How do you drown the voice of your own heart? Psalm 131 is a psalm of David, and David writes this psalm in a way in which he's playing show and tell with his heart and with his soul. You've all played show and tell, right? You grew up in school where you had to play show and tell. You brought something to school that revealed uh, who you were, something significant about who you were. In this psalm, David is saying, let me show you who I am. Let me show you my heart and my soul. In verse 2, he says, my soul is like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, this is a short psalm with an incredibly powerful image. A weaned child with its mother. It is an image in which everyone wishes was true of them. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, everyone wants to be able to say that my soul is content, that my heart is satisfied. In other words, that my heart is at peace, that I am content. Now, a child that is not weaned is constantly in need of their mother, right? Henry, our six-month-old son, is not weaned quite yet. And uh, when it gets close to feeding time, uh, he's going to let you know that it's feeding time. He gets fussy, he gets agitated, he's irritated, he starts grunting, and when that happens, everything stops, and we get Henry to Rachel so Rachel can feed Henry, right? Everything revolves around him because he's demanding. He's not weaned. David is saying, my soul, my heart is like a weaned child with its mother. It's content. It's not demanding. Deep within, my heart is at peace. Don't you want to be able to say that? I know you do. I do. I want to be able to say this every day, but I know I can't. It's not true of my heart every day, but I pray that it is. And I, I've heard someone say that this is one of the shortest psalms in the entirety of the book of Psalms, but it is the one that takes the longest to learn. So I want to ask two questions this morning. As we look at this passage, as we look at this image of a weaned child, of a, of a heart being at peace, Two questions. Why is this peace so difficult? Secondly, how do we get to this place? Why is it so difficult? How do we get here? So let's look first at why is this inner peace so difficult? To answer this question, we have to look at how David has arrived here, at what he has done or what he has not done. David in verse 1 says, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. 
This is what David has not done. And in not doing these things, he has arrived to this place of contentment, a heart at peace. So the contrast could be said. If you want to have a heart that's not at peace, if you want to be discontent, an agitated, irritated child who demands before God, lift up your heart. Lift high your eyes. Occupy yourself with things great and marvelous. Now, what I just described, the contrast of verse 1, that is a description of someone who thinks that they're larger than life. That is a picture of someone who is focused all on themselves. Heart is lifted up. That's pride, right? That is just pride. Now, and pride manifests itself in many different ways. Uh, pride makes you think that you know better than another person knows. Pride makes you think that you know better than God knows. Pride is the thought, Lord, I really don't like how my life is and my circumstances right now. If I were going to do things, I would do them this way. In fact, I will do them this way, even though you tell me not to. This is what Rachel has to live with a lot, uh, married to me. Uh, there are things in which I do know more of than Rachel does, but uh, there's one thing that I've learned that she will always know more than me, and that's anything mechanical. Uh, and no man likes to admit that, right? No man likes to admit that their wife is more mechanical than he is, but it's just true. Uh, it is true. Her dad's an architect. She can see things, envision things, thinks in ways that I cannot, even if I try really, really hard. But there are, and, and there are still times, uh, most of the time probably, where we're doing something like putting up blinds in our house or putting a toy together for Henry, uh, and she knows what she's talking about, but I tell her, no, 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 I've got it. I'm going to do it my way, <laughs> right? That's pride. And we do this with God all the time. God, I've got this. God, I know better than you. Really? That's what we think deep within our hearts. We know better than God. Now, listen, pride's not just the thought that I am great. David in the psalm also says pride is when our eyes are lifted up, is when our eyes are Haughty is what one version says, meaning when we look down on other people. Author and professor David Pollison, he makes the point that pride is not just about me, it's also about you. That I must look down on some, someone in some way that I think I am better than you. A proud heart says, I am right in myself, and pride with haughty eyes says, I am right compared to you. That's what pride is. It's thinking better of yourself while looking down on others. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Lewis is saying pride is manifested in relationship to others. You feel superior. You think, I'm wealthier. I, I, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm more thrifty with my money than they are. Or I'm more concerned with social justice than they are. Or I'm more intelligent than they are. Right? Pride is feeling superior. But pride also, on the, it's the same coin, different side, is manifested in feelings of inferiority. 
When you're around people that you feel inferior to, you begin to criticize, nitpick, point out their faults because you want to bring them down to make yourself feel better. See, pride's not just about me, it's also about you. And so you're going to think, well, they're just wasteful. They don't listen. They don't care. They don't love. They don't, you name it. That's pride. And it leads to a heart that's not at peace. David also in Psalm 131 says, if you want to have a heart that's not at peace, occupy yourself with things great and marvelous. Occupy yourself with things great and marvelous. That is unruly or overreaching ambition. Unruly ambition. It's attempting great things, running after great things for the sake of yourself because it makes you feel good about you. And we here in the triangle often believe that we are able to do whatever we want to do that we have the strength and the resources and the ability to do what we want to do. Now, let me say and make a quick distinction. There is a difference between aspiration and and unruly ambition, what David's talking about here. We should all aspire to more. But this psalm is talking about aspiration gone crazy. This is talking about doing things and attempting things because it makes you feel special or powerful and that you think you can do it in and of yourself occupying yourself with great and marvelous things. It's unruly ambition, but it's also more than that. It's someone who is preoccupied with things that they cannot change. Things that they cannot change. They think about it all the time, right? And they think that they can change it because they're prideful. And someone who's presuming to have the power and the ability to make life look the way they want it to be. Again, it's a picture of someone, often of me, who thinks we have the control over all of our life. And so if you want to have a heart that's not at peace, if you want to be discontent, if you want to have all the stuff going on inside of you, as much as you try to make it appear as though you're calm on the inside, all this discontent is going on. If if that's what you want, lift up your heart. Lift high your eyes, look down on other people, occupy yourself with things great and marvelous. To someone who's consumed with themselves. And when this is a depiction of our heart, we will try all kinds of things in our own power to drown the inner voice of your heart. You'll try all kinds of things in your own power. You'll drink more alcohol. You'll work more hours. You'll do more meditation. You'll play more golf. You'll go for another run. You'll take another nap. You'll get in another fight. You'll watch more TV. You'll serve on another board. You'll help on another nonprofit. You will try all kind of Christian activity to try to drown out the noise of your heart. But you're relying all upon yourself. Charlie threw on the headphones to drown the noise of his heart. We try all kinds of things, creative things. Have you ever been around a crying baby? I think we just maybe had a crying baby. Uh, We all have been around a crying baby, right? Uh, How cruel would it be if we all just, when you're around a crying baby, you just kind of let the baby keep crying, and you you turned up music a little bit louder to kind of drown the baby, or or you turned up the TV a little bit louder so you would drown the baby's cry. That's cruel. Everybody knows that's wrong, right? Nobody, Nobody in their right mind would do that. Yet that is the majority of us in the way in which we deal with our hearts. We drown out the voice of our heart. We turn to ourselves, we're filled with pride, 
thinking we can make it on our own, thinking we're better than others, picking other people apart, attempting great things to feel special. And the only thing that this does is cause more anxiety and more fear and more sadness and more loneliness, which is why this inner peace that David is describing is so difficult for most of us. It does not come through ourselves. So how do we get to this place? So my second point. Verse 1 is the result of being weaned. Verse 2 gives us the way that David has gotten to this place. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I've calmed and quieted my soul. That's the key verse in this whole psalm. This verse literally could read, I have made level my soul. I have made level my passions. As someone who's taken a bulldozer to their passions, this is someone who's dealing with the inner voice, not covering over it, which is what we're all prone to do. And it's not someone who wallows in their, their heart either, in the issues of their heart. And now, a side note, I think I'm, I've got, gotten better at looking and listening to the voice of my heart. Uh, but I think sometimes I can be someone who listens too much, and I wallow in what's going on. And so this Psalm, Psalm 131, this picture of taking a bulldozer and leveling the passions of my heart, it's, this is good for me. And so how do we do that? What, is it, what does that even mean? That we don't cover over and we don't wallow. We take a bulldozer and we level the passions of our heart. It does not happen by sheer self-will. You can't try as much as you, as you may to tell yourself to stop being angry, tell yourself to stop being irritable, to stop feeling depressed. You can't tell yourself to be content. If you could, you would remain in a constant posture of self-reliance and self-dependence. You'll never be at peace and content that way. It also doesn't come by changing your circumstance, though that's what most of us think, right? Contentment, peace. It'll come when I have just a little bit more money, or I live in a different house, or I have a different job, or I just have a different job, or my marriage gets a little bit better, or you name it. If our circumstances would just change, then I'll be content. So contentment is really hard for selfish people, for prideful people people who are focused on themselves. And all of us here this morning, we have different temperaments, every one of us, different temperaments. Some of you appear by nature calm and relaxed and laid back. Some of us live at a frenetic pace, always moving, but deep down the voices are welling up within all of our hearts, these fears, these anxieties, sadness, and we all want to control it. But letting go of control, confessing our inability, confessing our feelings, and then turning to someone who was powerful enough to change things, turning to one who was able to comprehend everything, turning to one who is sovereign over everything is the only way to have a heart that's at peace. It's the only way to be truly content. Taking a bulldozer and leveling our passions does not mean that we invalidate our fears and anxieties and sadnesses, does not mean that we wallow in them. It means that we identify what's going on in our hearts, and that we bring our hearts before the Lord and we trust the Lord, His presence and His promises. Trusting in the Lord is the bulldozer that levels our passions, knowing that God is good and that His plans are better than our plans and His, His ways higher than our ways. David, the author of Psalm 131, uh, in 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26, gives a great example 
of what this psalm lived out looks like. Uh, in 1 Samuel 24 and 26, David has already been anointed king of Israel. Uh, and in, uh, that happens in 1 Samuel 16. And Saul, who is the reigning king, gets really jealous of David. Uh, he knows God's anointing is upon him. And so he's going to try to kill David. And uh, he doesn't want David to become king. In both chapter 24 and chapter 26, David and his men have the opportunity to kill Saul. They could take over the kingship of Israel. It could appear as though God had put them in front of him and David could have acted and killed Saul on the spot. He could have changed his circumstances. But instead, David says, I cannot raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. He trusts God's plan. He trusts God's timing. Rather than pursuing his own ambition to be king, David trusted the Lord and his plan, and he knew God was in control, and God was sovereignly leading his life at all times. This is how David can say his soul is calm and quiet, that he's like a weaned child with his mother. But listen to this if you're feeling discouraged. (laughs) David learned this. This was learned by David. David grew into this. This was not the picture of David's heart and soul all the time, right? If you know anything about David's life, he was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was a man full of pride. So David grew into this place, which should encourage every one of us. Because growth in the Christian life is a process. And we welcome everybody here at Christ Central to be in process wherever God might have them be. Growing in grace, growing in your understanding of your own heart and in your trust of the Lord with your life. It's a process. Which means at least two things for us. That there is hope for every single one of you. There is hope for every single one of you. No matter where you are this morning, no matter how you feel, the Lord offers Himself to you and He calls you to trust Him and to look to Him. And the second thing that this means is that nobody here has arrived. (laughs) Nobody's arrived. No one here is perfectly trusting the Lord all the time. No one here is perfectly, perfectly content every day of their life. The hope, verse 3, hope in the Lord, the hope that we have Christ central, is that there was one who could sing this psalm all the time. There's only one who could always sing this psalm, and it was Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only one who is consistently humble, not looking to control his life, but humbly giving away his life. And he had every right to demand power, to demand recognition, to demand another way of salvation than the cross. But Jesus knew that his Father's way was perfect. The Son trusted the Father beyond what he could see. Jesus' soul was like a weaned child with his Father. Jesus wasn't consumed with himself. He didn't look down on others. He didn't attempt great things to make himself feel special. He didn't presume to know great things. He trusted his Father. And if the perfect Son of God could bring his heart with his fear and his sadness and his anxiety before his Father, we can too. And then like the Son... We take the bulldozer of faith and trust in our God. And we know His ways are higher than our ways. And we know that He will always lead us in goodness and mercy all the days of our life. That He will do all things for our good and for His glory. 
We don't need to cover over the inner noises of our heart that I know all of us have. Would you, I mean, think about how obscene and absurd. To, if you had mildew stains on the inside of your home, if you just put a coat of paint over the mildew stains and just kind of continue to live life, how crazy that is. We can't live covering over these voices and think they'll disappear. We have to address what's going on in our hearts. And we can cover it as we may, even with spiritual things. But we have to bring our hearts before God. And then we pray with faith and trust. And we say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. And we lean not on our own understanding, but we look to Christ. And we know that our God reigns in goodness and mercy, and He is in control. And when we live like this, when we trust like that, our God invades our hearts. And He calms and He quiets our soul. So as we enter into this new year, 2015, what a great prayer that we can pray, no matter where you are. What a powerful image we can, we can pray that will be true of us, no matter where you are, that God would calm and quiet our souls, that we would be like weaned children with our mothers, that God would give us peace and contentment as we trust Him. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would, that you would help us, God, to be honest first, to be honest about really what goes on in our hearts. That we wouldn't feel like we have to cover over them and we would not wallow in them, but that we would come and bring, and bring ourselves to you, God, and that we could see that you are good and faithful and strong and worthy of trust and help us to trust you and lean on you, and lean into you. And as we do that, God, would you give us a contentment and a peace that I know we all long for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.